Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, King's Church family, we are so excited that you can join us today for our online service. Uh, Whether you're coming in uh, from one of our regional locations, like here in St. John or Halifax or even Charlottetown, it's been actually incredible to hear about what Pastor John Robertson's doing in Charlottetown right now. There's just a, a little cohort of people coming together and forming King's Church Charlottetown. It really is amazing. It is a dream becoming a reality. But we also know that there's so many of you who are tuning in from all sorts of different places, maybe watch parties and you're in homes right now. And we just are so grateful that you are tuning in today. And we believe that God has a word for you. But on top of that, what I believe today is that God is going to activate each and every one of us in a very unique way. That God is wanting to activate and call us into action today as his church. As we've been going through this season of disruption and change and reformation, that's really kind of the topic of the day. If you're just joining us, we're in the third week of a series we're calling the 246 Reformation. And what I want to talk about today in this series is something we call the table. Now, many of you might be asking, what is the table? Well, I'm glad you asked that. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we do, uh, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to go down memory lane with me? I don't know if you recall like growing up as a, uh, growing up as a kid or even now in your family, uh, but one of the things that we did in our family, one of the practices that we did almost every single night is that we made it a priority to eat supper at the table. Does anyone else do that? Or is that something you guys do? Me? No? I'm, am I the only one? Uh, we just really wanted to, 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 to just spend time around the table. It's kind of like this picture. Uh, this is a famous picture that we've come across here. Uh, this Norman Rockwell picture. It's called Thanksgiving. It's kind of the perfect picture of, of people together having, you can see smiles on their faces and it's all good and great until you have little kids, right? It doesn't look like this at all at my house right now, but growing up, it was one of the, it was one of the things that my mom really just kind of took pride in. Every night we would come to the table and she'd have it set and we'd have placemats and, 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 you know, uh, bowls and everything set up nice and perfect. And every now and then we'd get the nice dishes. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You get the china that belonged to grandma and you just bring that out and you set the table. And this was just part of my life growing up. And it's just one of those things you just kind of take for granted. And uh, until I got to high school. And when I got to high school, of course, you know, going through high school, you get to that age where you just kind of, you know, you just kind of find your independence. And you start to realize there's actually other values in life than just a nice dinner. And I remember this one time uh, when I was eating dinner with my family. It was a sun, it was a, it was a, it was a supper one night. We were all around the table. And by that time, of course, when you're in high school, like you don't enjoy food, you just devour it. It's just fuel. And it was one of those nights where I just like, I just like plowed the food. I was like two minutes and I was done. And I remember I was done and I got up and I went over and I rinsed off my, my plate and I put it in the dishwasher like a nice, like a nice kid does, obeying his parents. And I just turned around and started heading out the door. And all of a sudden, like my dad speaks up to me and he looks at me and he goes, hey, Seth, where are you going? 
I'm like, well, I'm, we're going to go play basketball. You know, we got, you know, we got basketball going on over here. I lived across the street from the high school. All my friends are over there. I'm going, going to play basketball. Dad looks at me seriously. He just looks at me in the face and goes, we're not done. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. I'm done, but you guys finish without me. And he goes, no, he looks at me. He goes, you know what? No, we're not done. Sit down. We are not done. And of course, I was like, you know, like under my breath making comments like, this is stupid. Like, you know, sit down. And of course, 30 seconds feels like an eternity. And all of a sudden, just as the silence, as it just got almost irresistible, this silence and the awkwardness, dad turns to me and says, so how was your day? You know? And it's like, what? What do you mean? My day was great until now, right? But what my dad was trying to teach me, one of the things my dad was trying to tell me was that we honor the table in this household. You're not just going to get up and go and do whatever you want in this household. In fact, why he came after me had nothing to do with food or eating at all. It was actually my dad coming in and saying, hey, I am going to set the culture for you, one that is actually healthy and one that is good for us as a family. And you know what? Now, looking back, I'm grateful for that. I really am. The other night, I, I caught my daughter. She's five, uh, just going into primary this year, and she 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 was done with her her meal. She she gets up and she's done, and she looks at me. She goes, "Okay, all done," and she starts marching into the the living room to go play with some toys. And I I caught myself looking over at her and say, "Hey, where are you going? We're not done, right?" It's so easy though for many of us to lose. To lose the, the honor or to lose the, 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 the beauty or the primacy of the table. It's really easy for us to kind of get distracted with other things and miss out on the table. It becomes an afterthought. And over time, it just sort of drifts into insignificance. And I would dare say that in our day, in the culture we live in, it's becoming increasingly harder to have these table moments together. I would classify our culture as one of those eat and go cultures. You know what I'm talking about? We just love fast food. We just inhale our food. We just go do what we want. In fact, I I did some research on this this past week. Some table stats, I like to call them. Um, This is, by the way, uh, just all stats found in Canada. So this isn't just American that we claim to be Canadian. This is actual Canadian stats I found. Um, Just some interesting things I found interesting as I was was, uh, thinking about this idea of the table. But did you know 100 years ago, the average dinner time was 1.5 hours? You imagine? Like today, what would we do with our time? Like, my goodness, today, the average is 12 minutes. (laughs) Isn't that true in your household? Uh, Interesting stat, the average household in Canada eats out 1.7 times a week. 1.7 times a week. Interestingly enough, Atlanta, Canada has the highest rate of all of Canada. We eat out two times a week. Now, there's different reasons for that, of course, like, uh, you know, and, and they're not all bad. We go out to eat because we like to celebrate, or there's a high mark in our life, and there's a special occasion. But the second reason we do this on the list is because it's easy and fast. What's also interesting is the meal that people go out the most in is dinner time. 
It's not breakfast. It's not lunch. And that kind of makes sense if you go to work and you're, you know, with your colleagues and you want to go to lunch. I totally understand that. I totally get that. But the time that you have the most space, the most freedom to give to relationship and community is the time that we find ourselves just kind of leaving the table and, and being distracted and going somewhere else. Now, my point in all this is not to come down on eating out. I think eating out's a great thing. In fact, my wife and I, like our favorite restaurant in Uptown St. John is Tondi's. We absolutely love that place. We have a place in Halifax that we love. We go out for sushi together. It's just amazing. It's incredible. If we have the kids, it's McDonald's, right? Uh, but my point in this is that ultimately, when we start to see some of this stuff happening in our culture, I wonder what it tells us is that we've actually shift our values, that maybe our value has been more about convenience than it has been about community. Maybe we value complacency more than we do commitment. And over time, if this goes unchecked, it can creep into every relationship of our lives. It can creep into your family. It can creep into your marriage. You can creep into, your, into, into parenting and with your kids. It can creep into your job and your coworkers and your boss. It can even creep into our relationship with God and how we relate to God's people. Now, I'm not sure if God is as harsh as my dad, but I wonder if this is a time and season that we are in as a church that God is simply looking at us right now and saying, hey, we're not done. You need to sit down. We need to honor the table. Because in God's house, as the Father, He sets the tone, He sets the culture. And when we get off a line or we get off track, it is time that we reform. And this is what we've been talking about over these last few weeks. And as we've been just processing and dealing with reformation and even what that looks like in our mindset, in our actions, we've come to ask this very, very base level that I think is incredibly important for each and every single person in our church to be asking today. And it's simply this, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus in the here and now? What does it look like to follow Jesus in 2020? What does it look like to follow Jesus in St. John right now, or Halifax, or Charlottetown? It's so incredibly uh, important that we ask this question, because let me tell you something. Can I just level with you today? The stakes for the, for the church have never been higher than they are right now. And, and the influences of the world and the waves and the currents of culture have never been stronger trying to pull us off course. And we talked about that even last week, Pastor Brent talked about the currents in our life that, that come in and if we're not careful, they start shaping us. And that's another question we've been asking is what is shaping us? What is, what is shaping us right now? For many of us, we'd say COVID is shaping us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being in COVID shape. You remember that? Like even the restrictions and all the different things that we're going through right now. I was just thinking about it. We, we, we were out getting school supplies for my daughter. And there's this big long list of things that we, we can get and what we can't get. And I came to this realization that her first year of school is going to look a whole lot different than mine ever did. It's, 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 it's shaping her. It's shaping us. Our fears shape us. Our uncertainty shapes us. Technology shapes us. Our experiences, our culture is shaping us. But what we also are saying in this season is that there is an invitation of Jesus not to be shaped by the patterns of this world, 
but actually to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus by the renewing of our minds. That as much as we think that the culture is shaping us right now, I want to suggest to you that God is doing just as much shaping in us right now. Amen? And that's what our God does. Our God transforms. Our God renews. Our God reforms. And one of the things we said over the last few weeks, and one of the ways that God uses to shape us, or one of the tools he uses to shape us, is time. If you remember from week one, we talked about time shaping us. And Pastor Brent shared a little bit about what we believe this time to be. Uh, we, we're saying that this time right now, this season is unique like none other. And, and the, there's, a, there's a word for this in the Bible. It's called the Kairos moment. It's called Kairos. Kairos simply means an opportune time, an opportunity. In fact, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 16. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every Kairos. What's he saying? He's saying when a Kairos moment is on you, Do not just sleep at the wheel. Do not just be idle. This is a time that we should be seeking God. Maybe it's for repentance. Or maybe it's for renewal. Or maybe it's for return. And one of the things that we believe in this season, as God is calling us into this new place of reformation as a church, is what we're discovering is that to move forward in the future means we actually have to look backwards. We have to go back to the basics, to the primal place where the spirit forms the church together. That's where we get this title, the 246 Reformation, out of Acts 246. And let's just take a look at it right here. This is what goes on in the early church, Acts chapter 2. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They expressed themselves in this temple, in this place. They broke bread in their homes. There's another place. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And what we're coming to grips with right now is that the Christian life, the, the, the kind of cul-de-sac and the, and, the, and the places and the cups that we find that our lives are to take shape are to take shape in these two places. In the temple and what we also call the table. Or in our church, which I'm going to talk about today is What we're launching, we're going to call them home churches. Now, the temple, Pastor Brent talked about this last week. The temple is where where we practice and express our vertical relationship with God. It's, It's that place of worship and surrender and submission to his presence. It's, it's where we come under the authority and the power of God's word spoken to us. It's our Sunday service. And Pastor Brent talked about last week that this is, when we come to church, it's more than just like just coming and hanging out. Like this is an actual place of calibration. Like when, it's like when we get off set, this is where we come get and get back online. And this is, I think it's so important what he said last week. And I just want to just kind of, just kind of, uh, just, just state this again, that it's not, this is not the season to be idle in your faith. That we continue the Sunday service. It's a place of meeting. It's a place of teaching. And let me just tell you right now, the Sunday service is not going away. Amen? It's not going away. And I also was thinking about it this past week. The church has has faced far more difficult situations in time than COVID-19. And the church is still standing today. It's amazing. And so it's not going away. But what I want to talk about for just a few minutes today is this idea of the table. The table. Now, if the temple is where we work out our vertical relationship with God, 
the table is where that relationship gets expressed. The vertical relationship gets expressed together in community together. Let me say it to you this way. The table is where you live out what you learn and experience at the temple. Let me say that again. It's the place of living out in community what we've learned and experienced at the temple. And in the early church, what was fascinating about this is that they were two distinct expressions. One's large and home church and and the tables, smaller gatherings. They were different expressions, but they were equal in value. They placed them at the same level. And as we've been discussing this and working through this as a church, one of the things we've discovered in our church even, and I would suggest probably most churches in North America and the Western, in the Western hemisphere, is that we've been very strong at the temple expression. But we've been lacking. We've been weak at the table. And because of that, we've been living this sort of out-of-balance faith. And so we believe in this season that God has actually called us to the table. And I would suggest to you that we've tried this in the past. And in the past, I would suggest to you that the table has been probably neglected at times. Anyone ever been in like one of those like small groups and you had great intentions to go and, or maybe it was with a buddy of yours, you wanted to read, read scripture together and hold each other accountable and you get started and it's really strong and it's really great. But over time, it loses its value. And, you know, one morning you wake up and you're too tired and I just, I just, I can't do that today. And then then one morning needs to another and to another. Then all of a sudden, what we thought would be good for us, all of a sudden becomes neglected. I think it's also been redefined. It's been redefined in our day. It's actually lost its original meaning. One of the things that I think is fascinating about our culture that we live in today is that we've never been more connected than ever before in the history of the world. We are connected uh, on the internet. We are connected by text messaging. We are connected on WhatsApp. We're connected in so many different ways, but also we've never been in a world that is more lonely than it is right now. And I think often and over time, we've kind of redefined community as connectivity. And I want to suggest to you that that connectivity and community are not the same thing. Just because I like your post on Instagram does not mean we're in a community together. It just means we're connected. And then finally, it's become optional. We've just said, hey, if you need community, then just, you know, you can do it over here. But one of the things we're discovering in this season is that we're finding that not just the temple, but the table is also an expression that is healthy for us, for the formation of who we are. It's essential to the mission of who we are. And this was critical to the early church. In fact, if we zoom out a little bit more to the broader text of the scripture, not looking at just verse 46, but verse 42 uh, to 46, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship there is the word koinonia. And the word koinonia actually means around a table. That's what that means. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which happens where? In the temple. 
and to fellowship. They devoted themselves around the table to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. There's that word together again. And they had everything, they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together again in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, when people wrote things back in the day, they didn't, they didn't use punctuation. They didn't have technology. So one of the ways they emphasize things is they just repeat it. Can you tell me how many times you saw the word together in this text, right? What's, what's Luke trying to tell us? What he's saying is that what is essential to the church, to the health of the church, to the body of the church, to the mission of the church is this concept of the table, is this concept of community. And one of the things that we are pressing in on in this season is that we must rediscover the biblical expression of community in our time and region if we're ever going to fully be shaped by what God wants for us in this time. And so my, my role, my assignment today, if you can hear me, even across the, the, the airwaves right now, I wanna call us back to the table. I wanna call us back to the table. And I wanna give you three reasons why we must return to the table. Why home church is going to be vitally important for your life and for the life of our church. And so the first thing I wanna give you, the first reason is this. The reason the table is important and why we need to return to it, it's because it's actually our designation. It's our title. It's our DNA. Like the idea of a designation, it's really is a designation is something that has been bestowed upon you. God has actually bestowed the title of home on us. We actually find this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is what Paul says to the church of Ephesus, which, by the way, was a church of home churches. It was a home church church. And look what he says to them. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. In other words, you're no no longer to be isolated from each other. You're no longer to see yourselves as these titles in these ways. You're not a foreigner anymore. You're not a stranger. But listen, but but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his what? Household. You're a household. You are part of a home. Look, then it goes on to say this, and I love this, because this is where it connects the home church and the the Sunday service, the, the, the table and the temple. He says, you are a household together built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the what? Holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. There's that word together again. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying, you belong to a house. And if you belong to a house, who lives in a house, church? A family does. You are called to be a family. You know, one of the things I believe we're supposed to reclaim in this day as the church I believe we're, we're supposed to reclaim family language between each other and understand that that is what we are. 
You see, I hear people all the time talk about the church, like, oh, the church is kind of like my family. I just want to correct this for just a moment. The, the church is not like a family. It is a family. We are a new family in Christ. We are a restored family. Why does God, why does God want us to be a family? Because originally... God did not work through just an individual, right? When he created Adam and Eve, he created who? Adam and Eve. He created a family. And listen to me, church. I, I, this is something I'm, I'm convinced of more and more as, I, as I'm studying more and more about community and family in the scriptures. I'm convinced that, a, that the sign of heaven inbreaking on earth is when the church starts acting and looking more like a family. I actually believe that a sign of heaven on earth is when we start acting like a family. Why? Because it's our designation. This is our DNA. This is what we are called. In fact, if you read the New Testament, this gets so pervasive. You begin to see it everywhere. What's fascinating, we don't have time to kind of look at all the, these different passages, but if you study the New Testament, you'll notice that the language begins to change of how even the church begins to identify themselves with each other. In the early part of the New Testament, the Gospels and even into Acts, you see the disciples called disciples. But over time, they begin to call each other by, by, the, by, by the pronoun brothers and sisters. And, and, I, and what I believe is, is that we are called to reclaim in this time and to act like a family. That, that we are, you are actually my brother. You are actually my sister in Christ. And it, and it seems to happen very quick. I was reading uh, where, where Paul, who was Saul when he was converted in Acts chapter 9... Of course, you know the story of Saul before he became Paul. Saul was this terrorist, and he was just, uh, you know, he was out to get the Christians. And of course, you know the story. God met him on, on, on a road, on the Damascus Road, and just came in a blinding light. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he came to a realization that Jesus is King and Lord, and he was blind. And so he was off in this house, and God goes to this, to this, to this disciple or to this brother named Ananias, and he says to Ananias, hey, Saul, this guy that was persecuting you, he's turned to me, he's blind, I need you to go visit him. And if I were Ananias, I would have been like, uh, no. Today's the day I'm not going to be stoned. Nope, not doing it. But Ananias obeys the Lord and he goes and finds Saul. And do you know what he calls him immediately? Brother. He says, you're my brother now. And I think somewhere along the way, the church in the West, and we've all been kind of caught in this. We've kind of evolved the church into this sort of impersonal institution. And I believe in this day, we have to reclaim our designation. Can I just speak this over you? When you come to church, you're not just an attender. You're an attender when you go to the Sea Dogs game. When you come to church, you're, you're not just a number. You're a number at the DMV when you, when you get a ticket and they call your number. No, in the church, you are family. You are family. When you come to the temple, you are a son and daughter to our father who is in heaven. And when we get together in home churches, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what we are. It is our designation. 
Now, what do families do? What are we supposed to do as families? Well, in my family and probably your family, we eat together, we celebrate together, we encourage one another. Some of you are like, that's not my family. I don't like my family, right? But that's also being family. Because in family, guess what else you do? You bear with one another. Don't you? You bear with each other's weaknesses. You bear with each other's mistakes. You, you help each other. You encourage one another. You protect one another. You even correct one another, right? And that's what family is. Family is great and wonderful. And we have these awesome dinners like, like I show, but there's times where it's difficult. Listen, that's what family is. One of the things I know to be true is that the people you are closest with, with are the ones who you often show the best side of you to, but also the worst side of you to. Why? Because it's the real you. It's family. It's safe. And one of the things that we believe in this season is that God is actually calling us back to a place of family. That's why we would say one of our major guidelines for home church that we're about to launch, probably the only guideline that we really have, is that we, it, it needs to be shaped around community and relationship. You're a family. And that doesn't just happen at a temple, at a temple ex- expression. That happens together, close, around a table, eating together, laughing together, sharing the highs and lows together. That is what a home church is going to be like. We did the best we ca- could to describe what a home church could be. And this is what we said. And again, none of us have ever been in a home church yet, but we're going to be very soon. But this is what we believe our home churches are going to be like. We believe they're going to be a happy place. You remember, you, you see what it says in the scriptures that when the believers came together, they were glad and sincere in heart. Like it's a happy place. It's a place of joy. It's a place of celebration. We also believe it's going to be a hearing place, a place where we can work together with the authority of the word that we hear in the temple on the weekend or on Sunday service. It's a place that we hear together. It's a healing place. It's a place of helping, and it's a place of, oh, that is holy, a place where we actually are formed and discipled together. One thing I want to just caution you with as we start to talk about home church is, is this. Home church is not about some type of program. Home church is about being some type of a people. See, home church is not some method. It's a mindset. It's a designation. That's what Paul says. That's what God is saying. He's saying, you are actually in the household. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You no longer are just, you're, you're no longer just Brent. You're my brother. You're my sister now. It's our designation. The second thing is this. The table is not just our designation. It's also our distinction. It's also our distinction. It's what makes us pop in the world. It's what makes us stand out. It's a place of love in, 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 in the church. And, and I think this is going to be so significant for us as a church because I don't know about you, but you look at all of these different communities and these groups, you just can go on CNN or you go on Fox News and see it right now, an election's coming. But one of the things you can see is that people are together in these communities, but they're all there based upon what they hate, not what they love. But the thing that describes the church throughout the centuries and throughout the history is that it was actually known for its love. 
In Acts chapter 2, when it talks about them eating together and breaking bread and fellowship, do you know there was actually a name for that in the New Testament? They actually called it something, something very specific. Anyone know what it is? It's actually, it was actually called a love feast. What was a love feast? Basically, a love feast was just this meal, this table, where these people, these joyful Christians came together, and it was loving because anybody could come. They actually called the feast agape. It's not, that's not just some dumb, like, 1980s worship band name. No, no, no. Agape was a place of love. It was their distinction. It was their mark. People didn't come and say, oh, man, that was great food. People didn't come and say, oh, this is a great house or a great building or this is a great program. No, in the New Testament, the table and the table expression is distinctive because it is a place of love. It is our mark. In fact, this is even what Jesus describes. Do you know that Jesus saw the table expression as a place of mutual love and support? What's fascinating is when you read the Gospels, is that Jesus himself was always in community. He's also always at a table. And more striking is that you find Jesus everywhere eating all the time. Uh, One New Testament scholar uh, said this, and I, I love this. He says, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or he's leaving a meal. I mean, this guy just loved being in homes. He just loved being in community together. Now, why? And it's not because Jesus just loves food, even though the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day actually called him a glutton. But that's not the reason. And in Jesus' mind, the table is a place that is more than just eating. It's actually symbolic. It's a sign. And it's a sign in Jesus' mind. It's a sign that, that, that the church adopted from Jesus himself. It's a picture of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus, later on in the Gospel of Luke, would say, hey, the kingdom of God is like, and of course you've heard all of those different parables, but one of the parables Jesus says is he says, the kingdom of, like, uh, kingdom of God is like a banquet table. It's a place of love. You see, in Jesus' day, and this is still true of our day, a table is more than just a place to eat. It's actually a boundary marker. What do I mean by that? Basically, what I mean is, Whoever you eat with and whoever you refuse to eat with, it's a way of saying who's in and who's out. And we still see this in school cafeterias, don't we? Anyone ever remember the the cool kids table? No, me neither. I was never invited, right? (laughs) But what's it saying? It's, It's distinguishing who's cool, who's awkward, right? It's distinguishing who's my friend, who's not my friend, who's accepted, Who's not accepted? That's what the table means. This is, and it's interesting, when you read the Gospels, do you ever notice that the Pharisees get so mad with Jesus over the people he eats with? Why? Why do they care? Because in their mind, he's accepting sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. You see, and here's something that you need to know to be, something I, I've discovered, is that religious people will often use tables to exclude people. They use it as a weapon. But Jesus uses the table as a welcome. Not a weapon, but a welcome. No wonder he invited the tax collectors. No wonder he invited the prostitutes. 
No wonder he invited the sinners and, 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 and the people who were the down and out and the downcast and the diseased. No wonder God did, because to Jesus, the table was a place of love. And not only was it love to him, his dream, his expression for the world is that it would be love to, it would be a place of love for his disciples and for his church. In fact, later on in John chapter 13, this is Jesus uh, sharing this to his disciples, believe it or not, in a home at a table. This is Jesus's home church, quite frankly. But look what he says. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, here it is, this is what's going to be distinguishing about you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Isn't that interesting? The thing that is going to distinguish you, your distinctive, the thing that is going to actually make you pop as my people is your love for one another. Why doesn't he say your love for God? Here's what I think. Because I think it's very, very simple for many people to come to the temple and say they love God and then go out the door and not love the people around them. And so he's saying, actually, it's not about loving God that is going to distinguish you. It's actually loving others. You see, loving others is the litmus test of loving God. That's why the table is so important. Because the table actually proves and validates your experience at the temple. Does that make sense? By loving others. And John would even go further into talking about this in his epistle. And this is just sharp words, but it is so true. Look what he says. He says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God. Whom they have not seen. And he, who, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, loving others is the barometer of our loving of God. And the only place that can really, really be measured is in community. It's in home church. And let's just say from the start, none of us are perfect in this. I'm not perfect in this. I don't think God wants us to be perfect in this, but this ought to be our pursuit to to see our love for one another be purified and changed and transformed. And so this is what we said. We said the goal of home church is actually to live in a way that we mutually love one another and not just each other at the church, but also to love the stranger For many of us, that's just sort of extreme to love people we don't even know. But many people have come to me lately and said, hey, you know, these home churches, they sound great and they're exciting, but who can actually come to a home church? Anyone. Anyone can come to a home church. Why? Because love welcomes. See, one of our values uh, as a home church is that we believe that they're supposed to be diverse. I don't mean diverse and like they're just weird and crazy and they're different. No, like the composition of them are supposed to be diverse. But there's going to be families there with children, children at our home churches. There's going to be seniors. There's going to be people from different uh, places in the economic stratosphere. There will be people who are rich, people who are poor, people from different parts of the world. Do you ever notice in our region right now, the amount, the world is coming to us. 
There are people from all over the world flooding to this place. And what we believe and what we, what we sense is that our, our home churches ought to take on this beautiful picture of, of being diverse together. In fact, the book of Revelation says that when we are around the Lamb together in this big giant house, the house of God, the household of God, it says every tribe and every nation will be represented. So who can come to a home church? Anyone and everybody is welcome. Why? Because love is our distinctive. It's our goal. It's our pursuit. Final thing, the final reason you should come to a home church and why it's imperative that we, that we, that we bring this back into our church is this. It's not just our, it's not our, design, not just our designation. It's not just our distinctive. It's actually for our development. There's a grace to this, that when we enter into community, when we enter into a home church together, one of the things we believe is that this is going to be a place that is vital for our growth and maturity. Listen, one thing I know to be true is that community is the place that God shapes us. I was thinking about it this past week as I was, I was thinking about how the Sunday service and how home church will go together and and maybe this is a poor analogy, but this is what I think, I, I, this is kind of how I think about this. I think it's at the Sunday service where God gives us the sword, he gives us the word, he gives us a chisel, but it's going to be in home church where that gets used. And it gets used together. In fact, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And the only place that we ever really, really find transformation and we grow and we form, I believe, is in the context of community. It's in a place where I can be completely vulnerable. I can, I can share my weaknesses. I can share my struggles. But it's also a place that I receive encouragement and I grow to be more like Christ in these places. And it's with people who I do life with. It's people who I trust the most. It's with my family. Pastor of Bridgetown Church, his name's John Mark Comer, says this about community. He says, community is Jesus' school of love. And one thing I know to be true is that the spiritual life cannot be developed alone. It's impossible. And I would dare say this, that every behind every mature person and every person that is growing in their faith, there is an encourager. There is someone there who is speaking into their life. And we've lost this. We've lost, we've neglected the table. We've lost this part of who we are. And God is saying to us, hey, it's time to return to the table. One of the things I am deeply concerned about for the church, and not just our church, but the church in the West, is that I think a lot of us have kind of adopted this DIY Christianity mindset. And I just want to caution you in that. I think that's more a byproduct of our culture and hyper-individualistic culture and secularist culture that we live in than it is of Christ. And it may be convenient, but I think it's dangerous and destructive. I've seen this time and time again where people just kind of, I come and I get fed. I just eat at the table. I come to the temple and I get fed and then I just clean my dish and I just go and do whatever I want. And I wonder if this is a time where God is actually saying to us, hey, listen, we're not done yet. Sit down. Come back to the table. Honor the table. 
Because there's more that needs to go on in this place than what you are experiencing right now. And so as a church and as a staff, this is something we've been praying through. We've sought counsel on this. We've talked to a lot of different churches. There's a church out in Ontario called The Meeting House. We've had a lot of time to, to talk with them and listen to them and learn from them. We've worked together through this as a team. And we've come to grips that this is an essential component to our faith. This is essential. And we have been creating, and over the last few months, we've been creating and developing this, this dynamic of home church. And we've called leaders up to be spiritual leaders of these, uh, of these home churches. And we're going to launch home churches coming up in September, all across the region, here in St. John, and in Halifax, and in Charlottetown. And our dream is that we actually see home churches go beyond those regional places. But we see home churches start to pop up everywhere. And this isn't just because it's covid We actually believe that God has called us to return to the table because it's essential to who we are as God shapes us as his people in this region and in this time. It is a Kairos moment. And we are not to waste this opportunity. And so I want to ask you this question. And we're about almost done here. Is this for me? Is this for me? Now, some of you are here and maybe you're watching online. You're like, I don't know if this is for me or not. But I, I had the privilege just recently to, to interview some people who come to our, our campus in Halifax. And they, uh, they have been part of a home church at the Meeting House in Toronto. And I had a chance to just kind of interview them and ask them their advice. And they're the only people I know who've actually been in a home church who's part of King's Church. And I had a chance to just interview them. And I just want you to check this out as, as we come to a close here. Take a look at this. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Seth coming to you from my house. This is my house and I'm here with some good friends of mine, Phil and Colleen Richards. And Phil and Colleen have been part of King's Church for a while, actually. It's been, it's quite an interesting story about how you became a part of King's Church. Um, You became part of King's Church before you moved to the East Coast. And so tell us a little bit about you guys, first and foremost, but then second, uh, about how you how you got involved at King's Church. We moved from Windsor, Ontario to Brampton. We've been searching for a church for a long time. We found the meeting house. And one of their things there is um, home church, which um, for me was, for at that particular time, my, my journey was just going to church wasn't enough. There, it felt like there needed to be something more. And then... We took a vacation to see a niece of ours in St. John area, and yeah, she ended up telling us that she oh she found this church, King's Church. So she took us to church, and we were hooked. Yeah, so we went back home, but we continued following yeah. online for several years. Right. So when the opportunity for us to moved to Halifax came up, we were pretty excited because we already felt like we were part of King's Church. But home church, it was a significant part of your of your life uh, in Brampton. Um, and it's more than just a small group. Tell us a little bit about what home church is like. Um, and maybe just speak into that a little bit. In a home church setting, it's a more intimate setting where um, you would actually go over what what the message was that that Sunday um, and we dive in a little deeper and you could do that a little easier as a small group 
and get people's inputs, but then there is the component of community. So it became more than just, you know, depending on what night of the week you, you met on, it was more than just, okay, we got to go to this meeting. It was more like going to see friends or family. It became family for us after a while. It was a group of people doing home church together, but it was physically doing home church out in the community. So they would help people move. They would fix somebody's deck or their roof, or they would just, they would be the hands and feet of Jesus physically out in, in the community. That's right. And that, that also was an aspect of, of all home churches in a different capacity right. where we would partner with um, different organizations and we would go out and serve together. And it was, it was very intentional to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and, and have compassion and, uh, for one another. Right. So home church was more, like you would probably say, it's much more than just working through content, although that is a portion of what you do. But uh, as you shared with me, you were the mission coordinator of your home church. Compassion. And com- or compassion coordinator <laughs> of your home church, um, in which you just, everyone seemed to be involved. Everyone had a part. Everyone took ownership in that. Would you say that's a ma- major key to yes. the success of a home church? Absolutely. Um, I know the meeting house, the scope of home churches is massive. Like we're not talking about a few little groups here. Like there's just lots of them across Ontario and they continue to grow and continue to produce. In fact, I think you told me at one point that the biggest struggle right now with home churches is to find enough leaders for the amount of home churches that are developing and growing. And so, um, which is really, really cool, really exciting, but a a huge task on our end is as as a church is to be raising up leaders for uh, home churches to, to, to really give spiritual oversight and, and, and really to shepherd and pastor people in home churches. Well, for those of who are watching right now that might be asking the question, you know, or maybe they're on the edge of saying, well, is, is this something I should be a part of? Should I make it, should I be committed to it? Um, really, why, why would you want, what, what would you tell people if they're in that kind of spot right now. It gave me purpose. Mm. It was it was the intentionality of the home churches to live life together. They were there was always an invite to be part of something, to go to the movies or go out for dinner or just to spend time or engage in conversation with somebody outside of home church. Mm. Because it's about building relationships and living life intentionally. I know uh, you've told me on countless occasions that you actually still talk with your home church in Brampton on a weekly basis. Like that's how close you are. Like there's a there's a there's a tight knit family that you guys have built in that, which is something that can only be cultivated in time in a in a in a place like a home church um, over time. But I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And uh, I know I'm excited to launch into home church uh, here at King's Church. And I know so many of our, our people as well are excited about this as we, as we step into this, uh, into this new ministry, really, uh, for us. And uh, so thank you so much for just, just a few minutes to share uh, about your experience. And again, we look forward to, to starting home church here very soon and being part of home church as well. I know you guys are excited about it too. Yes, we are. Check out home church. You're going to love it.
Well, I don't think that I can say it any better than that. It's time that we come back to the table. I want to encourage us and call us back to return back to the table. And so this is what we're going to ask everybody who's part of King's Church to do, is to join a home church. And we're going to be starting these up in mid-September. And there, there's different ways you can, you can sign up and be into it. There's people that, there's home churches that are already starting to form, even right now. But we know that there's some who's saying, I'd like to be part of this. I want to be part of this. And we want to provide an opportunity. And so this is the simple way to do this, just simply for home church. All you got to do is go to kingschurch.cc. Just go to our website right now. And you can find a place there to just click on and it will take you through all of the different information, all the stuff that you need to fill out so that we can get you plugged in and get you set up into a place where you are feeling and known as family, as brothers and sisters. Or even right now, you can text home on your cell phone at 833-517-0054. And we just believe in this season that God is reshaping and retooling us and reforming us. And quite honestly, we, we're not sure why, but we believe that renewal and revival is on the horizon. And I just wonder, I just wonder, in a world that is completely and utterly lost and lonely, that God is forming his people to be families for the orphans to come home for the prodigals to come home, to find a home, to find a home church, to find a community where there is mutual love, where there's support, where there's encouragement, where they can find Jesus. You know, church, I'm convinced that people may never make it to the temple without the table. And so I just, we just encourage you, sign up, sign up today. We're gonna have a lot of home churches enough for everybody. And so sign up today. I want to pray for us even right now as, as you are praying and asking the spirit of, 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 of just filling out your name and getting involved. We just want you to take a moment to do that. But I want to pray for us as we come to a close today. Father, we just see and hear the call that you have placed upon us as a church. God, in this season, in this Kairos moment, in this opportune time, in this right time, we heed what you're, what you're saying to us. And now, God, the call is to respond. The call is to act. It's not just simply to come with good intentions. It's actually to get engaged and re-engaged. And so, God, would you just activate us right now, Lord, as we launch home churches and we admit to you, God, that we really just, we, we really don't know how this is all going to kind of play out, but we, we've done our part and we've organized that. And God, would we just pray, would you move on people's hearts right now? Maybe there's people watching this right now that didn't think they were going to be on this stream, but they feel just this void of relationship and community. I pray for those on the, on, on, on the fringe of society that maybe just are lonely and downcast. God, we, just, we want to be a church that creates space and welcome of anybody and everybody. And so, Lord, right now, we just consecrate this time. We commission our church to be activated Today, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we would be a church who lives for love and for mission in our day. So God, we just submit this to you. We give our yes to this together. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.